Hello, this is Len Tengis welcoming you to the iPodcast AGCMO Weekly Podcast. In each episode, we'll feature information about a contractor, specialty contractor, supplier, contracting agency, owner, or legislative or regulatory issue pertinent to the construction industry in Missouri. We'll feature industry professionals and other construction industry representatives to help our listeners stay up to date with current and future trends in construction. So here we go. Welcome back to iPodcast AGCMO. Today's special guests are both from Anders CPAs. We have Brent Kineski. Brent is a director and Dan Mudd is a tax partner over there. And they're here to talk about a couple of subjects. And I think we're going to start with the sales and use tax review. And Brent is going to give us some information there. So Brent, welcome. Thank you, Len. It's a pleasure to be here uh, and an opportunity to uh, share some information with your members. It's great to have a couple experts like you as our members. Uh, Thank you very much. Too kind. So let's talk about sales and use tax review and what that means to me as a contractor. How does that hit my bottom line? Why should I even worry about this? Well, it's it's a pretty unique opportunity. Obviously, a number of your contractors could really benefit from this, but similar to what's gone on, you know, in the world over the last year as it relates to PPP, there's an opportunity for some some found money, some free money if you will, for a number of these contractors, particularly around the areas of tax-exempt projects that they get involved in. A lot of contractors from an accounting department standpoint, they may run somewhat lean and mean. And, and things get overlooked, and, and quite often, you know, they, they simply don't have the resources to stay on top of all of the tax-exempt opportunities that they're involved in. And tax-exempt projects include schools, government buildings. Schools, governments, hospitals, a number of different opportunities there. And then there's certain projects with municipalities where developments are, uh, have some, some tax incentives, too. So one thing that Missouri did a couple of years ago is they opened the statute for review to 10 years. So the audit review has historically been consistent three years. Now they open up to 10 years. And so what happens is, well, if what I was doing last year or the year before, probably doing it the same way seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years ago. So the opportunity for refund extrapolates out over 10 years. And we're, we're finding significant dollars for a number of contractors, you know, six-figure opportunities to flow straight to their bottom line and in a challenged economy that a lot of them have it's it's a nice so if i did a project seven eight nine years ago i have the opportunity now to have you come in do a look back find what might be on the table there apply for it and get that back that i didn't have before absolutely it's a fairly non-invasive review which means you kind of point us in the direction of of your payables and and we do the review um, as long as there's a resource there available to uh, maybe answer some questions for us during our review there's some back and forth as well you know all the work is falling on answers and it's a contingency based uh, offering meaning if we don't we don't find any refunds there's there's no fees how long does that take for me to have you come in and do that is this a six-month process a two-week process I guess it all depends on the number of projects that are applicable. Yeah, obviously there's a number of things whether it's uh, all of your information might be digital if it or if it's a mix of digital and physical, you know, you go back as far as 10 years information might be in a warehouse somewhere um, that we'll have to go access. But to answer your question, these projects I would say minimum 6 months, sometimes stretch as long as a year just depending on how organized the information is and what format we're getting it. And so you're talking about some significant dollars here that 
it's found money. Uh, yeah, and very little uh, responsibility on top of the contractor to really invest anything. Any particular case study you could share? Uh, I might turn that over to Dan, my, my colleague here. He can probably reference some of the case studies better. Sure, thanks. We had a large contractor about a year and a half ago where we went in, and they operate in a lot of multi-state jurisdictions, and they had a refund that they were that they were aware of themselves, and they were kind of sitting on because they didn't know how to attack it and process it. So when we came in with this opportunity, they obviously said yes, and we found in excess of, of six digits of our own refund and then process their refund in conjunction with ours and it, it was it turned out really well for for everybody and in some cases you know like you said when you go in there and you review the records that does take a little bit of time and then if you then process that with the state then there's the that time period where the state has to review and they ask questions uh, in some cases though you can actually get a vendor credit and if you're buying from the same supplier you can take that vendor credit, contact them, and if they say yes, then you can get an immediate refund by reducing your next order from them. So that's very helpful, and it's if you're working with somebody that, that knows what they're doing and then does this every day, you can really streamline and become efficient with how we handle this. So this applies all the way down the line to everything that was purchased for the project then? That's correct. In the in the case that I was just referencing, our contractor, who was a very large contractor, they were still a subcontractor uh, on the job. And when we found what we found, uh, we had the general contractor assign the rights to a lot of these purchases with a flow-through exemption. And we were able to file it on behalf of the subcontractor and didn't have to go through the general contractor. So this is not just for general contractors. This is applicable to subcontractors or suppliers or anyone involved in the project then? That's correct. Okay, yeah, obviously um, HVACs, electricals, all of them we've had the pleasure of working with, and you know we've pretty much found something for everyone. If I want to look at this, where do I start? I guess the first thing I would do is look for any projects that I did for nonprofits and governmental agencies and see if I have anything on the list there that this would be applicable to. Yeah, I mean, we handle a lot of that review. In some instances, uh, contractors have simply sent us a list of their projects. And at this point, we have a pretty good understanding of what projects are going to be exempt and what are not. You know, we've had a few conversations with um, with GCs where they simply said, hey, look, we simply don't do any tax-exempt projects, you know, so we're probably not going to find a whole lot. And those are ones that we we usually don't pursue a little further because there's just not as much opportunity for them. But, you know, what we're finding is well over 70, 80% of the contractors that we talk to, they're doing tax exempt work and they want us to, to dig in and see what we can find for them. Dan, another topic that we were going to talk about was this employee retention tax credit. And as long as we're finding money, we might as well find all of it. So could you talk a little bit about how that works? I have no idea what employee retention tax credit is. Sure. Thanks, Lynn. So everybody's very familiar with the PPP round one loans and the PPP round two loans that, you know, recently got passed. So if you if you think back to last March when all of this came out, back then you had to choose whether you wanted the free money through the PPP loan or whether you wanted to qualify for the employee retention tax credit. You had to do one or the other. And obviously, most people went for the free money in the PPP loan. Well, CARES Act 2.0 came out, you know, just a, a month and a half ago, 
And now they've said that you can do both, okay? Now, the one thing that you can't do is use the same dollar for the paying wages and the same dollar for the employee wage credit. So if you handle it correctly, you can optimize between the two and you can take advantage of both. The easiest way I can say it is that the ERTC tax credit is like another PPP loan. It is free money. What we do is when you get your PPP loan, PPP2 anyway, we use the minimum amount for wages and then you fill up the rest of the buckets like utilities, rent, interest, and some operational costs. And then the rest of the dollars that you have available for wages, you use the employee retention tax credit. And there's that optimization between the two so that you can get the most free money that you can. So there is a formula that the government has that you figured out how to make it work more effectively than is on the surface. Yeah, I wish it was the government that figured that out, but uh, the accounting firms are sort of figuring it out for their clients. Uh, and there's the covered period, there's the amount of wages, the number of full-time equivalents. But yeah, there's, there's a formula that we have where we can kind of target the optimization uh, between uh, the PPP money used for wages and then the wages used for the employee retention tax credit. Now, if I've already filed for my PPP2 loan, what do I do? Say I've already filled out the form, I've already sent it in. Can I go back and make this adjustment or how does that work? Well, for PPP2, people really haven't even gotten their money yet. And maybe they have, but they haven't used it yet. So it's what you use your loan with right now. It's how you use the loan. They're still paying their wages. They're still paying their utilities. So after the fact, we can come in and say, instead of allocating all of those PPP funds to wages, let's do 60% to wages and the rest to utilities and other things. And the rest of the wages that you didn't use it for, then we tag it and earmark it for the employer retention tax credit. And then related to that, just real quick, um, there's one eligibility requirement for the ERTC for 2020, and there's a separate one for 2021. And if you, if you look at the rules and you say today, I do qualify for the ERTC for 2021, you can call your payroll company up today and give them the information, and then you will immediately start saving next Friday when they don't impound your bank account for the full amount of the tax credit. Are you having some of your clients take advantage of this now? Yes, uh, I was on the phone with a a client the other day, and they weren't exactly sure how to uh, articulate it with the payroll company. So I just said, when you get them on the line, give me a call. So they called from their cell phone and literally just added me to the call. And I mean, I wasn't on there five minutes. and, And it was with one of the larger payroll companies, and they were familiar with it. So they walked the client mechanically through how to enter their payroll next time and then they in a separate screen they would enter the same payroll and then choose the ERTC code so they are going to start saving money next week if I want to find out about this what do I do how do I get a hold of you andrewcpa.com we're on the website and uh, we have our COVID-19 resource center We do a lot of tax research related to the CARES Act, and this is one piece of the CARES Act. There's many more pieces. What are some of the other pieces that people are taking advantage of? There's a lot of things from um, net operating loss carrybacks, uh, reduced required minimum distributions for IRAs, 
Uh, it, I mean, the list is just endless. It really is. And, and most people aren't really focusing on these other areas. To take full advantage of everything, you really should have your accountant go through every part of the CARES Act and see if it applies to your business. Mm-hmm. And how long is the CARES Act? How many thousands of pages? <laughs> Too many. <laughs> <laughs> Len, I did want to circle back on, on your question about how long these about how long these take. You know, they're typically six to twelve months. But one thing that we're finding as well with these is that um, there's few accounting firms that are really focusing on it, the manner in which Anders is. Um, obviously, there's a few others out there, but what ends up happening with this is it's a fairly non-invasive or non-threatening service to what might be an existing provider. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's always one concern that people have. And so as we explain that, they're like, yeah, you're welcome to come in and take a look. My current CPA says have at it. So it you know, presents an opportunity to, uh, to help their bottom line. So it's a real area that you're specializing in as a real niche service that doesn't really get into anybody else's sandbox very rarely yes and and one th- and one thing that allows us to do that is we've got some resources that we've been fortunate to to bring on at anders over the last few years that used to work for the state of missouri so they really know how to navigate around these these areas really well and, and maximize what that refund would be so you have some folks that have looked at it from the other side that can help you understand what's on the other side of the wall absolutely well if i want to find out about any of this then i go to anders anderscpa.com um, and obviously we can get you with uh, some direct contact information for myself and dan but anything you would possibly need would be at anderscpa.com and then probably within the, the covid resource center great well brent and dan i am now smarter than i was 15 minutes ago and i hope that a number of our contractors can tap into this give you a call save some money, and use that to better support AGC of Missouri. Uh, We appreciate the opportunity to talk with any of the members. Thanks, Len. We really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks again for listening. It's easy to subscribe to iPodcast AGCMO on almost any podcast platform that you use. We hope you do subscribe and continue to listen as we move forward with this important project for the construction industry. To access our prior podcasts, visit www.agcmo.org, not only for podcasts, but for additional information about AGC of Missouri.